Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. Yeah, and so tonight we're concluding um, our, our talk about relationship. Um, who of you know that God is incredibly relational? That He is all about relationship. Um, that his heart is for relationship. He is actually the one that created relationship, right? Um, he's the one who designed relationship. He's, he's the author of the concept of relationship. An incredibly relationship be, uh, relationally focused being. Um, and I was reflecting on this and I realized that even pre-creation, if you look at God, before he created the earth and he created man and all of these wonderful things, um, there was community, Right? Even, even in God, um, the divine community, it's, it's God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, so there's even a desire and a value for community before creation. And then he creates the world, and um, he, he creates, so he says, let there be light, and, and then he separates the light from darkness, and it's, it's day and night. Um, he creates the animals, the creeping things, the flying things, all these things. And each time he's created something, he says, and God, and God saw that it was good. Right, um, and God saw that it was good, and He created um, man, and He said, and God saw that it was good. Um, and then later on in Genesis, it says, um, and God saw that man was alone, not good. Right? It says, God saw that Adam was alone, and He thought this is not good. <laughs> Adam shouldn't be alone. Right? And then He created Eve. So even from that point of view. We see God's incredibly um, passionate heart for relationship. So pre-creation, during creation, and then even if we think about incarnation, right, when Jesus comes to earth, a large part of the purpose of Him coming to earth is to reveal God as Father. Right? The, Jews and, and the Jews knew God in many ways, and they knew Him as sovereign, and they knew Him as holy, and they knew Him as all these different things, but they didn't know Him as Father. And Jesus came and he said, I'm here to reveal God as Father. And, and he, of course, not only gave us an example of what a relationship with the Father looks like, in terms of intimacy, in terms of surrender, in terms of obedience, all of these aspects, he also came to give us access so that we can enjoy that same relationship with the Father, right? So God's heart is for relationship, and his heart is for us to have amazing relationships, life-giving relationships, kingdom relationships, um, and he's given us a couple of tools to be able to do that, all right? And um, what I'm hoping to share with you tonight are, are some of these principles that God has taught me, um, mostly through marriage, um, but just in life, in my walk with God. Some of it, a lot of it will have um, a strong marriage context, a strong marriage focus, but these principles apply to relationships regardless, right? So outside of marriage, uh, dating kind of relationships, friendships, um, whatever it may be. Um, so, so hopefully, you know, I trust it will be applicable to everyone. Um, so the first one is, a couple of keys, all right? The first key to building kingdom relationships, and this is not an exhaustive list, um, but it's, it's powerful stuff, um, is, is knowing your worth, all right? Um, in any relationship is understanding what your worth is in that relationship, all right? We often see, um, 
often see people who, who struggle with a sense of insecurity and struggle with a sense of inferiority, and then in relationship, trying to somehow gain a sense of worth from that relationship. And maybe this relationship will, will make me feel more important, will make me feel more valued, will make me f feel more like I'm belonging, right? Um, but the truth is that no relationship can add or take away from your worth. An amazing relationship, walking in an amazing relationship, you know, whether you're dating or whether you're married to someone, even if that is an incredibly strong and life-giving relationship, it can't add to your worth. It doesn't make you more valuable. Right? And in the same way, being in a terrible relationship, being in a relationship that's perhaps destructive, right? in a relationship that um, breaks down, although I wouldn't advise that, um, that doesn't take away from your worth either. Right? What, what is our worth determined by? Things worth is determined by the price that someone is willing to pay for it, right? And if we think about how that applies to us, our worth is determined by the price that someone is willing to pay for us. The highest price, right? The perfect spotless Lamb of God. Um, Jesus himself that was sacrificed so that we may have life, right? So that's the price, incredibly high price. Um, and that brings a lot of freedom in relationship when we know that. When we know that I have worth apart from this relationship, that allows me to engage freely, right? Um, and that's true for all of us. The great thing about that is even though the price is so high, it's so significant, it's so amazing, um, that applies to all of us. So even though my worth is, 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 is so high based on what Jesus places on it, that's the same for you in the relationship. So we're equals in that sense. Um, and then it's also important to, to, to acknowledge that it's great that I'm different in this relationship. It's great that they're not both the same, right? It's great that I see things differently, that I bring a different angle to the relationship. And the fact that my, my contribution is important in this relationship. And it comes back to the principle of, of the body, right, that we read about in the New Testament, um, where Jesus says the church is like the body with many functions, diverse functions, um, and all of these need to work together in order for the body to function normally. And a relationship is just like a mini, mini body um, in that sense, thinking about that analogy. And for that relationship to function properly and be healthy, it's important that both people are fully themselves and are fully bringing to the table who they are um, and what they have to give. And that is celebrated and invited and received, right? So the first one, know your worth, right? The second one, be malleable, right? What does that, what does that mean? So for all, all of us that are not uh, English first language, I always also had to look this up the first time I heard the word. Um, Google says it's able, it's the quality of being able to be hammered or pressed permanently out of shape um, without breaking or cracking. And then I added you know, it can also be into shape. Um, it's the ability to be hammered or pressed permanently into shape without being broken or without cracking. Alright, so the second key, be malleable. Um, and this speaks about an openness to change. Alright? I'm open to change um, in this relationship. Incredibly important for any, any relationship that's going to work. Um, the first time that I 
um, seriously started thinking about uh, a relationship with Lauren, um, who's now my wife, who is the sexy lady that was sharing the word earlier with the pink sweatpants. Um, <laughs> the first time I really, I really started thinking about pursuing this relationship, I spoke to a, um, an older guy who's a, a bit of a, a spiritual mentor to me, um, and I said to him, Yo, I, 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 I really like Lauren, you know, and I'm thinking of, of, of pursuing a relationship with her. It's quite different to what I had in mind originally, you know, what I sort of, the picture I thought, you know, my, of who my wife would be, but I can't deny what's happening inside of me, and I think I'm going to go for this relationship. And um, he was very excited. He also knew Lauren well. Um, and he said, you know, one of the things that I love the most about Lauren is the fact that she has a repentant heart. I was like, wow, what does that even mean? <laughs> you know, <laughs> was my thought when he said that. I was like, that sounds amazing. I want to marry that person, <laughs> you know. But what does it mean? <laughs> um, he explained it to me, after which I probably understood about 30% of what he meant. Um, but over the years, I've, I've realized what it means. Um, and having a repentant heart is just saying, whenever I'm confronted with the fact that I'm not like Jesus in a certain area of my life, I'm open to change. I'm open to lay that part down and to submit it to him and to become more like him in that area. Right? And, if, and we see this in King David's life. Um, 2 Samuel 11 tells us a story of um, Uriah the Hittite and, and his wife Bathsheba. And it starts off where King David is, is walking on the roof of the palace one evening and he sees this woman through a, through a window. And um, he's like, this is a nice woman, you know. And he sends for her. Um, to come to him, and he sleeps with her. Right? She's married. Um, he's the king. Um, and she falls pregnant. Right? And then he's like, this is a problem. Um, we need to make a plan. And then her wife is, is Uriah, that guy. Sorry? Her yes, her husband. <laughs> it was a heterosexual relationship. Her <laughs> husband, um, thank you for that, um, was Uriah. And Uriah was a, was a soldier in the Israelite army, um, and he was, he was in the, fighting in the war at that stage. And David sends a letter to the commander of the army, and he says, send Uriah back. Um, Uriah comes back, he you know, throws a party, um, and he encourages Uriah, go to your house, you know, enjoy your wife. He's hoping that he'll sleep with his wife, and that he'll think that when, when he learns that she's pregnant, it's his child, right? Um, but that night, Uriah sleeps at the entrance to the palace. And the next day, he says to David, you know, it's obviously a matter of integrity. He says, how can it be fair for my men to be, you know, in the face of battle and I'm eating and drinking and spending the time with my wife? So he's doing it for the sake of his men. And um, the next night, David makes him drunk and then he hopes again that he will go to his wife and lie with her and again he doesn't. So that plan didn't work. And then he sends a letter to the commander of the army and he says, when you're in battle, let the army advance against the enemy and then fall back so that Uriah will be exposed. Right? And then they do that and he gets killed. Um, so, so this is what King David did. Right? And then Nathan the prophet comes to him and he says, what have you done? You know? And David's eyes are open and he realizes what he's done. And he's obviously heavily convicted and he says... And his response is the following. His, uh, psalm 51 is actually um, a psalm that he wrote after Nathan confronted him with his sin. And David says, 
against you, and you only have I sinned. You know, speaking to God. And when I read this, I thought, really? Did you only sin against God? <laughs> what about Bathsheba and Uriah? <laughs> you know? But it just shows David's heart. It shows this repentant heart that my heart is to be one with God. My heart is to please God. My heart is to worship Him. And I realized that even though I did this terrible thing against these people, you know, I slept with this woman, probably against the will, who was married, and I murdered her husband as a result of that after I impregnated her, I sinned against God. That is actually a sin against God. And then he goes on and he says, um, later on in Psalm 51, it speaks about, um, he says, Lord, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit inside of me. Um, do not cast me away from your presence or take the Holy Spirit from me. So even though he's, he says, Lord, I've, I've sinned against you, you know, there's a, an acknowledgement that I need to change. Not only is there grief for what I've done, it's saying, Lord, change me, God. Change me from the inside out. I'm not, I'm not reflecting you in this area of my life, but I want to. I want to walk closely with you, and I realize that requires holy living, but I realize I can't do that in my own strength. So come and change my heart. Give me a clean heart. Create a steadfast spirit, a new steadfast spirit within me. Right? And that's so crucial in relationship as well. Right? Having a repentant heart. Being able to say sorry. Being able to forgive quickly. Being open to change. Right? Because relationship, a big part of re- relationship won't fix these things. Right? Relationship just with a, with a woman wouldn't have fixed you know, David's adulterous and murderous heart. He needed a change from God, but relationship was effective in exposing that. Right? And this is a big purpose, a big part of relationship. And I see some of the, the, the married people smiling now. Um, but a big part of relationship is just allowing relationship to do its work and to expose those areas in our lives that still need to be redeemed. It's still a bit rough around the edges. That Jesus still needs to come in and bring renewal and bring life, right? And we should let relationship do its work. Um, and when it's exposed, not expect the relationship to fix that, but run off to God and say, God, do something, right? Um, so having a repentant heart. And I realized, you know, in relationship with Lauren, um, I could see that w- when, she, when she said sorry or when she there was a desire to change in a certain area of her life. I could see that it was, less, it was less of changing for my sake and it was less of, it was more of coming from a place of, I love Jesus and I, I want to know him better and I, I want to look more like him, you know, in every area of my life. Um, and so that was, that was the cause for change. Um, and so allow, allowing relationship what it was meant to be um, for us to be shaped. It's open to change. Um, and the first one, the first key is very important when you go into the second key because if we don't know our worth in relationship, if we don't know that God bestows worth and value on us outside of relationship, then the second one becomes very difficult. Right? The second one is about being open to change, being open to repent, being open to not having arrived yet. Um, but if we don't know our worth, we might be tempted to just please people and to change all the time for whoever is in front of us. And that can create massive confusion, right? But actually the, bl- the greatest blessing to the people in front of us 
is not changing to suit their preferences, but is changing to become more like Jesus. That's what's going to bless them. Even if they think there's something else that's going to bless them, right? And so allowing that process to happen, and, and I was chatting to this about Lauren this often, and I, just, and I just thought, you know, I would rather, I would rather choose someone who is 70% whole and has a repentant heart than someone who is 95% whole but feels that they have arrived. Right? And we're all looking for this perfect person. We're all, you know, I think often we have this idea of someone who has no issues. And you know, I, I once heard Bill Johnson, uh, sorry, Brian Johnson, share his testimony. Who's, who's Bill Johnson, famous preacher's son. And I thought, uh, you know, this, this testimony is probably going to be very short. How can people that grow up in the house of Bill Johnson have any issues? And, um, and I was just shocked at where he had come from, you know, and how the enemy had come to steal and just the, the place that God had brought him to. Um, and that, that is true for all of us. All of us, you know, there's been areas that have been stolen and we've been hurt and there are areas where we're not functioning as we, ho- as we, as we really want to. Um, but the key is not about marry, you know, choosing someone or marrying someone who is perfect or whole or doesn't have any issues, but it is about someone who has a desire for Jesus to come and to com- continually bring that renewal. All right. The third key then is about counting the cost. Um, talking about relationship, right? And I thought a lot about the wording and I, I thought about what to call this and I thought maybe a different way of, um, of, of speaking about this is something about the list, right? Who has a list? Don't, okay. Um, <laughs> all right, but counting the cost in the sense of relationship and we, we see the scripture in Luke where Jesus um, shares this parable about um, the cost, right? And um, it's a scripture in Luke 14 it says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it Everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. All right? So Jesus, the context here is um, being a disciple of Jesus and the fact that following Jesus fully will require everything. You know, it will cost us everything. That cost is very high. And he's saying before you make the decision, before you jump on this bandwagon, acknowledge that it will cost you everything, you know? Lest you are like someone who starts to build a building and then halfway through realizes you didn't do proper project management, you don't have enough finances, and there's just a halfly built building standing there that's deserted, right? And people will look at it and say, what's going on here? So be real about what it's going to cost you before you enter into it. And although he's speaking about discipleship, the principle applies to many things that are of value, right? It's saying that it's going to require a sacrifice to gain something that's beneficial to us in the long term to gain something that truly is valuable um, and that is of worth to us, all right? Um, and that's true in relationship as well. And so I want to also say that we, we don't focus on, on the cost, right? We don't, we don't boast about how big the cost is and how much we've given up and, you know, look at what all the things that I sacrificed to, to give my life to Jesus or to choose this life partner or to make this other significant life decision, right? Because what we've received in return is so much more, you know. The cost is real, and the cost may feel like a lot, and we should acknowledge that, 
right? But in terms of our salvation, and if we choose a worthy life partner, a spouse, what we get is so much more than that. And the cost actually then in the long term pales in comparison to what we had to sacrifice to gain that up front. And so just to make it a, more, a little more practical, what it meant for us in our relationship is, um, you know, I was um, having coffee with um, Pastor Heinrich, who was the pastor here in Joburg um, before Henny came up. And uh, many of you will remember him. And it was actually in, this, in, this, in the same time as when I spoke to this other guy who told me about the repentant heart. Um, a lot of significant relationship moments coming from that time. And um, he said, you know, th there was a couple of things I mentioned earlier that, that Lauren was, sh she was just different to the, the picture I had formed in my mind over time of who I would marry. Um, I, I just had a different picture and, and Lauren was, you know, just practically she was older than I am and she was English. She is English, right? <laughs> And initially, that for me was a big deal. I was like, but I, I sort of, you know, judge people that have younger guys and, you know, <laughs> um, this is just my own issue. This is not, um, you know, and she's English, so what does that mean for our kids and, you know, like the Afrikaans heritage and um, all of those kind of things. But those are just the superficial things. Those were not the things that I quickly got over that, but there were other things that made it more difficult. And I was chatting to him about some of these things and he just said, you know, choosing a life partner, choosing a wife, um, there's a cost that comes with that. There's something that you need to sacrifice, right? And we need to acknowledge that over time we form these ideals of who our life partner will be. And we form this ideal of what our life is going to be when we are married. And that's inevitable. All of us do that. The problem is the ideal that you form, guys, and the ideal that you form, girls, <laughs> looks different, right? <laughs> so when you enter into that relationship, there's a rude awakening. <laughs> Um, and many of those ideals are good things, right? And maybe they're even based upon a prophecy that God gave us or a word that God spoke into our lives. But still, we, you know, Scripture says we prophesy in part and we see in part. And um, it's, it's almost impossible, I think, to not bring an element of subjectivity into that and to color it in with what we hope will also be part of that prophecy, right? Or that word. And, um, and so part of counting the cost is just to sometimes let go of those ideals and to say, I'm, I'm open to my life looking different to the way that I, I saw for myself, right? And for us, it was, um, <clears throat> you know, one thing was that I, <clears throat> I really value my, um, I really value privacy, you know? And <clears throat> in, in terms of serving in church, I actually saw, my, saw myself more as, you know, a sort of an anonymous person in the congregation that, you know, just like part of the crowd, and um, that was sort of my heart's desire. And, and Lauren, you know, even while we were dating, mentioned to me that she, she's, she knows that God has this calling for her in ministry. And she's been called to preach to people. She's been called to write books. You know, and that requires sharing life stories, which includes your spouse. You know, and I was just like, no, I don't want people to know all my, all my stuff, you know. I just want to keep it to myself and share it with my one accountability partner. And we'll pray through it. And, um, Exactly. I don't want to be used to you know, illustrate this principle in sermons. Um, but, I mean, I'm laughing about it now, but it was a big thing for me. It was, you know, because Lauren, um, Lauren has a, an amazing calling to be a wife and be a mom. And she's doing such an amazing job at that. And she's, 
It's so beautiful to see the contentment that she enjoys in being a wife and being a mom. Um, you know, even while we were dating, my dad one day called me, called me aside and he said, um, you know, I just want to, like, Lauren seems quite driven and, you know, focused and, you know, intentional and purpose. And at that time she was working at Deloitte and they were grooming her to be the automotive guru for the tax incentive team and you know she had been doing these large consulting projects with some of the big car manufacturers and um, she was being promoted quite quickly and my dad was just like you know are you sure this is what you want <laughs> um, which was which actually crushed my spirit a little bit at that stage because um, my mom is not like that my mom um, my mom just wants to be behind the stove in the garden you know bake the rusks drive the kids around um, and my dad confronted me with this, this question, and I was like, sure, I don't know if I, if I want someone that is, you know, career-driven and ambitious in that sense. And I realized that I would rather have my kids spend less time with their mom and let it be Lauren than having them more time with their mom and letting it be someone else. Um, because I knew Exposure to Lauren is the biggest gift for any child, <laughs> you know, and I'm being completely objective in that. Uh, <laughs> but I just thought, you know, if my kids can just have like an hour a day with Lauren, I mean, she's such an amazing person, you know, just to impart that heart for Jesus and just that, you know, spontaneity and that fun and, you know, some of these things that I really value, I'm okay with that. Like, she can have a career, you know, I'd still choose her. And that was, a, that was an example of a cost for me, right? What I gained in return, I would not trade the, the, the life we have now together for anything, you know, for the picture that I had of that before we were married or before I met Lauren or any of that. Um, because God, God gives more grace when you trust Him in those decisions, right? Um, when I discussed this with Lauren, she, she said, no, I must say that she also counted the cost. Um, <laughs> because... She asked God for a guy that's tall, dark, and handsome and plays the guitar. And I don't play the guitar. <laughs> so she also had to sacrifice and let go of her ideals, you know. Um, so there's an element of that in, in relationship as well. Um, of, of letting go of that ideals and saying, God, you know, shape my ideals. And I want what you have in store for me. Um, you know, and, um, and that sacrifice is, is nothing compared to what we receive in return. The fourth one then, um, maintaining connection during conflict. Okay, how many of you know that it's okay to disagree in relationship? Yes, three of us, let's go. <laughs> We're going to bring this message to the world. <clears throat> All right. I want to say tonight that it's, it's okay to disagree in relationship. Um, someone asked me the other day, do, do you and Lauren have like different opinions? Is there anything that you have, you know, don't share the same opinion? And I think I spit out my coffee when he asked me that. I was like, I think it feels like there are more things that we disagree on than there are things that we agree on. But is that something that steals from our connection? It's not something that makes, us, makes me feel like we're less connected emotionally, right? Or that our relationship now sometimes has, somehow has been severed because we have a different view on something. Obviously, there are certain non-negotiables. 
um, in terms of biblical truth right, that are important. Um, but even in that, based on the fact that I am, <clears throat> I am more pastorally inclined, Lauren has a strong prophetic gifting. So, so there are a lot of things that we just not disagree on even, but see from a different angle, which can sometimes cause disagreement right, or conflict. But then it's about how you approach that conflict. The strength of a relationship is not determined by um, you know, how few disagreements we have, but it's determined by how strong our connection remains when we have disagreements. Right? It's not about how often we experience conflict or you know, how much we disagree about stuff, but like, how healthy does that emotional connection remain when we do disagree or when we experience conflict. Um, and we need this in relationship. And coming back to knowing your worth, incredibly important in me being able to share what you believe about something or what you think about something. I remember I was dating a girl um, at one stage and um, I, would, I, would, I like to think about stuff, you know, and I like to, um, you know, sort of you know, philosophize about life and stuff. And I would think about something and I would say, yo, I, I've been thinking about this and I, I think the following, and what do you think? And she would say, oh, yeah, I agree with you. And I was like, no, 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 but what do you think? Surely you can't, you know, have come to exactly the same conclusion in those words. What do you think? She's like, no, what you said made sense. I'm, I'm happy with that. <laughs> and I think that was, that was the first red light for me. I was like, this relationship is not going to work, you know, because I want someone that I can discuss that stuff with and I can grow my perspective and my paradigm can be shifted and, you know, see things from a different angle. I think it's important to also experience the whole truth in terms of um, the truth that God has prepared for us in the gospel and, and in the Bible. And so, so pursuing those different views are important. But then the goal of working through conflict is, so we often engage when we disagree on a certain thing or when we experience conflict with someone, we often engage from a point of saying, um, you know, I want to, I want to, like, you're not hearing what I'm saying, like this is what I'm saying, hear what I'm saying, you know, can you see that my, my approach has the better logic? Um, just, just listen and understand, right? Um, and so the goal becomes to convince or to, to win over, and you can do that in a very nice way. You can try and convince someone or, or, or get someone to agree with you in a very nice way, but that's not the goal of conflict. The goal of conflict is actually to bold understanding of that, who that other person is, right? So there's a reason that you think about this differently. There's obviously a reason why this is your take, this is your view, right? What is that reason? Where are you coming from? What's your makeup? How's your personality different to mine? What experience, significant experience have you had in the past that has caused you to think about this in a certain way? And so engaging conflict in that way, wow, that's a really interesting, you know, sometimes you really have to keep a straight face because and on the inside you think, are you crazy to think that, you know? But then you don't say that, you're like, wow, okay, oh, tell me more about that. You know, I want to understand. Um, Cornell asked us such an insightful question at the relationship panel on Wednesday evening, and he asked um, something like, you know, uh, it was me and Kuni that were the married guys on the panel, and he said, so Stefan and Kuni, what is, um, what have you found is the, the greatest way or the, more the most effective way of showing your wife that you love her. And um, I had to think about that for a moment, and, and I thought, you know, listening, sort of listening slash understanding, 
Um, and then Cooney answered the exact same thing. He said, no, really listening to, um, to Sunel, you know, and, and showing her that I'm present and engaging with her and responding to her and asking, asking more and asking to go deeper. And, um, and that's true for Lauren as well. And I think it's true, um, yeah, I, I, would, I would venture as far as to say it's true generally, right? Um, to listen and to understand. And, and the ladies in the audience will agree with me that we have an incredible desire to be heard and to be understood, right? And to feel like we belong. The challenge is sometimes that guys, the way God has created guys, and there's, this is a great thing, there's nothing wrong with this, but is to fix things and to improve things and to build things, right? And that's a wonderful part of being a man and that's you know, where a lot of good stuff has come from. But sometimes in conflict, not the greatest, not the greatest option. Who's seen the, the video about, it's not about the nail? Okay, do yourselves a favor. After tonight, go and Google, it's not about the nail. It's a video on YouTube. It will provide much comedic relief and solid truth and insight into relationships. Okay? But, you know, sometimes it's just about showing understanding and showing that compassion and showing that empathy and not about solving the root cause of the, cause of the problem right now. Um, all right. So the purpose of conflict, maintaining connection during conflict. Right, engaging with honor, the fifth key. Engaging from a position of honor, of honoring that person. Um, part of honor, honor is to ascribe value to something, to ascribe worth to something, to say this is something weighty, something that is extremely valuable, right? And part of treating people with honor is treating them the way that, according to who God has created them to be, and not according to how they're acting in this moment. There might have been a lot of things that happened during the day that's causing this person to not be the greatest version of themselves right now, right? And then we have such an opportunity to show honor and to say, I'm going to relate to you and treat you for I know, according to who I know you are, as opposed to how you're acting right now. Um, I, pastor Henry is, a, is a, a pastor in Malawi. He heads up a ministry in Malawi that, that a year or two ago merged with Shofar. And um, this incredible man, he's the biggest Malawian that you'll ever see. And um, he's actually, he wants to ask God to, um, he, asked, he said to God that he wants to hear God's audible voice. You know, so like you're hearing this mic now, you can physically hear it with your ears. Um, and then he said, he, wa he heard God speak to him, and God said, Henry, Henry, Henry. And he was paralyzed for three days. <laughs> he could not get up out of his bed. Just because of the effect of God speaking to him in such a powerful way, and God showing himself to him in such a real way. That's not the purpose of the story. The purpose of the story is that he was sharing about love. I attended a church service in Malawi while we were on a vacation with our family there, and we happened to be in his region on a Sunday. And he spoke about love, and he said, when we treat people according to their mistakes, failures, and weaknesses, we help the devil to destroy them. But when we treat people the way God the way we, um, according to how God sees them, 
we help them to become who God has created them to be. I also was in America, and I, I met this, this girl who was part of a ministry school there, and she, she said that, she asked me, you know, what are the words that God has spoken over my life? What are some of the prophecies that people have given uh, to me? What do I know about my calling? Um, it's like, okay, you, I don't know you from a bar of soap. Why are you asking me this? And she says she's gotten in the habit of asking that to people because she wants to know how God sees this person, that she can relate to them in that way and to also treat people according to how God sees them. Um, and that actually then releases a grace over people to become, to grow into who God has created them to be. So engaging in a relationship with honor. Um, Annie Stanley, when we did marriage prep, we did this video where we saw this video where Annie Stanley speaks about the, the gap, right? The gap between expectation and reality, right? It can sometimes feel like the Grand Canyon, right? My expectation was here, and reality was here. And he was saying, you know, so much of our, our, the dynamic of our marriage is determined by what we place in the gap. When we have an expectation of someone, and they just don't measure up, they just miss the mark, right? They don't live up to our expectations. Um, and he says, what do we, what will we believe about that person in that gap? Right? What will we ascribe that gap to? You know, oh, they're just, you know, passive. They don't care. They're just stupid, you know. Um, or will we give the benefit of the doubt? Because we don't know. We don't know for sure. We can assess people's actions and words, but we don't know their motives. We don't know their intentions. We're not able to judge that, right? So what will we put in that gap? Will we give them the benefit of the doubt? And sometimes people give us valid reason to doubt their motives, right? And then it's, it's wise to, are you engaged in that relationship going forward? But you know, in a relationship where there's trust and there's openness, um, there was an example where we had been looking for a house for a while, and Lauren, um, we, we, I think it was about the sixth house that we looked at, and Lauren sent me a, a text message, and she said, um, this is our house, I just know it. And I was like, Lord, please let it be our house. <clears throat> I don't want to break, you know, break, a, break a heart around this house. And we went to go see the house, and I was just like, this is not our house, you know. <laughs> and um, we went to go have a coffee afterwards. We're sitting at a coffee shop, and we're chatting, and she's still excited. And I'm like, how am I going to break this to her? And, um, you know, then, then she said, yo, didn't you love this? I was like, uh, did you notice the, um, you know, uh, there were a couple of things that I mentioned, you know, where the, how the, the position of the house on the property, the fact that a lot of space was um, sort of wasted by this elaborate cottage, which, you know, we didn't really have a use for. Um, the fact that um, they planted fake grass <laughs> is something that we could change. No judgment. This is, again, a personal issue. Um, that's something you could change. But there were a couple of things that I had a problem with, and I, I sort of gently said to her, listen, you know, I, I really believe that this is in our house. I, I'm sorry. I, I know that you have such a desire to move into our own place, but, you know, let's just keep looking a little bit longer. And she said, in that moment, the, she, the thoughts came. He's being passive. He's not taking responsibility. He's postponing this decision. Nothing is ever going to be good enough. You know, he just wants me to, he wants to make it difficult for me. And those are the thoughts that she was, she was having, right? Um... And then she realized, 
yeah, she, she can actually choose to believe that, or she can choose to believe that Stefan wants the best for us, and God speaks to him, and he has a desire to, to give us a place that, you know, fulfills the desires of our hearts, and that is um, good in all aspects. You know, he has faith to trust God for all these things. And it was a decision, right? It was a decision on what to choose and what you'll believe about that person in that moment. Um, will you give them the benefit of the doubt when there's a gap between um, reality and expectation? All right. Major killers of, of honor and of relationship that are sort of opposed to honor is um, familiarity, competition, and entitlement. Right. There's a, a proverb that says, um, an idiom that says, familiarity breeds content, right? <clears throat> when we, um, yeah, how many of you experience often when you um, have spent a lot of time with someone, with a friend, you know, that you, you, somehow, somehow along the line you sometimes start making like nasty jokes. You almost have, as you become more comfortable with each other, you make destructive jokes, right? Maybe I'm the only person, but <laughs> familiarity often comes in when we feel like we know someone, when we don't allow space for them to grow, right? Um, and we say, we know who you are, you know. Don't, you know, we know you. But not providing that, that space to grow. Competition, all right, and comparison can be a big thing in relationship. Stay away, all right. Honor is, honor is the better way. Ooh, that's a nice tagline. Stay away. Honor is the better way. <laughs> um, and entitlement, right, which leads us into, into the next section. So I just want to summarize, you know, Five, five keys of building kingdom relationship. Five principles that are available to all of us and can potentially transform the way that we do relationship. Know your worth. Be malleable. Count the cost. Maintain connection during conflict. And engage with honor. Right. So easy. We just do more of this and great relationships. <laughs> hey, let's go. No, I want to say that the biggest thing we can make, we, the biggest mistake we can, can make is to just approach this with an, with an attitude of behavior modification. We're just going to try harder to do things differently. Right? What percentage of New Year's resolutions do you think actually come to pass? Right? Some is like 100%. You're a role model to us. Right? Trying harder is not going to work. I've been there, many of us have been there. Trying harder is, is going to fail, right, in each of these areas. These are not just things that we adopt um, and sort of fix our behavior, uh, behavior outwardly and then relationship is over away. We actually need a change of heart, right? And so thinking about just what Jesus has done, right, and what he's shown us. He's shown us not only is he the perfect example of what life-giving relationship looks like. So we can look to him and say, wow, you know, he does that, and, and he says that, and he accepts unconditionally. You know, he really shows honor. He really bestows worth in the way that he communicates. He really sacrifices, you know. So we can see it from a distance. And he's an amazing example of relationship, the best, the perfect example of relationship. But even that, that, that is not enough. Monkey see, monkey do. Seeing what Jesus is doing and trying to copy that. We actually need to experience relationship the way that he does it in relationship with him. We need to experience the honor that he bestows, right? We need to experience how 
even though my life is in conflict with the standard that he has placed upon my life, he fights for connection, right? He fights for, he demonstrates unconditional acceptance and unconditional love. We need to experience that, and that experience of relationship with Jesus changes our hearts from the inside out. And our changed heart enables us to multiply that into our relationships with other people. The fact that our heart has been transformed because we've experienced relationship with Jesus and how differently he does it to the world. And that empowers us to do relationship differently. And the biggest contrast between how Jesus does relationship and how the world does relationship or our, the temptation from a sinful nature to approach relationship and Jesus' heart for perfect relationship is also the golden thread to all of these principles. Right? We often, I, I heard about... Um, What's, what's the actor that recently broke up with his wife? Um, yeah, there's, there's certainly not just one. Yeah. Chris Pratt and Anna Faris. Yes, got that right. So Chris Pratt and Anna Faris, and I heard them talking, and I heard them saying, you know, they had been working on their marriage for a year and a half. And that was sort of the first, okay. And then, um, you know, shame, I can think it's incredibly hard, but... So we've been working for our marriage for a year and a half, but we're just not fulfilling each other anymore. We're just not, that person is just not making me happy anymore. And that's a temptation, right, in our human nature to approach relationship from a point of view of this person is going to somehow fill me, fill a gap that I experience. This person is somehow going to make me happy, right? I'm not happy, I'm lonely, you know, all of these things. And, and this person is going to fix that. Whereas Jesus' heart is, my focus on relationship is emptying myself. Not being filled, but emptying myself. Right? We could approach relationship and say, what can I get? You know? How is this going to make my life better? How is this going to fill me? And Jesus says, no, 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 don't have that focus. Have the focus of how can I empty myself for this person? How can I give myself to this person? How can I serve this person. That's all that I can do to set this relationship up for success. And even that comes at a risk because that's not giving guarantee that the other person will give, it, give the same thing back. It's still up to them how they will respond. But it's a risk that has to be taken. There's actually no other way. We don't have another option. And so Philippians 2 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Right? And as the, as the band comes up and we start, we get ready to take the elements of the communion, just hear this again. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. And then I love this next piece. This is one of my favorite portions of scripture. In your relationships with one another, have the mind of Christ. 
have this mindset in the way that we interact with each other. And then it talks about even though he was God, even though he had right to everything, even though it was his right to claim anything, he's the firstborn of all creation, he has dominion over all the earth. Um, he was there when everything was created, right? Even in that, he lays his rights down. And, and another um, translation literally says, like he empties himself for us. And that's, a, that's actually the only way that relationship can work. Right? So as we take the elements of the communion tonight, the elements of communion tonight, let's, yeah, let's just thank the Lord for what he's done, for the sacrifice that he's made, that we may have life, that we may be saved from eternal condemnation, that we may be saved from eternity in hell, right? but also that he has given us the keys to have amazing relationships. He says, I've come that you may have life and may have it more abundantly. Right? And that includes relationships, abundant relationships. And it's his sacrifice that makes that possible. It's his sacrifice that releases the grace over us to change that we can have a changed heart and be a blessing in relationships and so have life-giving relationships. Yeah, so as I'm winding out the elements, just, just, uh, yeah, just turn your, your thoughts towards God and just, just thank Jesus for his, his obedience and the way he laid down his life that we could have a relationship with him but also that we could have a relationship with each other. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.